I got too many buttons to push up here. That's why I've got to watch my wife when I'm here, right? Four or five rows back. So you know, next week uh, we will be back into our normal uh, message schedule. And, and just so you know, next week is Esther. We start Esther next week. Um, at the end of Ezra 6, we've got a gap between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7. And Esther fits in that gap. So next week we'll start in Esther. <clears throat> but today, it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. Now, I, I wonder what that means to you. Some of you, it may really literally mean nothing. But everybody has their own traditions, memories, expectations of what it means to be Christmas Eve. Let me tell you what I think of when it's Christmas Eve. Okay, When I was young, Christmas Eve was when a friend of the family would come down during the day and we'd exchange gifts with her. And after that, we'd pack up and go to my mom's mom's place, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, food, and gifts. And then we'd come home and walk across the street to my dad's parents' house, where we would exchange gifts. And then we'd come home, and my sister and I would get to open one gift each before we went went to bed in preparation for getting up on Christmas Day morning to open up the gifts that mom and dad had gotten us. As we got older, very little changed. Once I got married, started having kids, things changed a little. Once my grandparents passed away, our routine changed a little. Now, early Christmas Eve morning, like we did this morning, it's the time when our kids open their gifts from Amanda and me. So Christmas Eve morning, 5.30 this morning. Like, oh gee... That happened this morning. So they opened their gifts from us. And then we spend the rest of the day with what's left of my mom's side of the family, aunts, uncles, cousins, those that still come around, and we play games for gifts. And then that evening, tonight, and Christmas Eve's now, Christmas Eve evening, we basically have a feeding frenzy at my mom and dad's. Mom and dad, brother and sister-in-law, sister and brother-in-law, niece and nephews, and we open gifts. More gifts than you can shake a stick at. I mean, a lot of gifts, like for real. We've lost gifts in the mess of the papers and boxes, and tonight we'll keep a sharp eye on Asa to make sure we don't lose him in the mess that's going to be there. And that's what Christmas Eve means to me. And while there's a lot of family in there, a lot of food, a lot of fun, I'm telling you, Christmas Eve, for me, the main attraction is the gifts. Some of you are disappointed in me right now. And to that I say, (laughs) I'm just keeping it real here. I'm just being honest. I love the food and I love the people, of course. Yes, I do. And I love the people more than I love the gifts, but... The gifts on Christmas Eve in my life have been pervasive. And they've been the biggest part of Christmas Eve. And will continue to be. I mean, gifts all day piled high. Paper and boxes and gifts de glory. And I know that seems superficial. It may even seem materialistic. Or commercialized, like Charlie Brown complained about. And to that I say, okay, I'm not going to argue with you about it. And I also don't want you to think that I like blame my parents for instilling that in me. Like that's the thing that I should focus on on Christmas Eve. And can I say that that's exactly what they planned? No. But it did happen. And you know what? I don't care. I'm glad, actually. Because listen very closely to what I'm about to say. Christmas is about presence. And I'm not being sly here and playing with words and like it's the NCE. Christmas is about the presence of God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Christmas is about presence. E N T S. Christmas is about gifts. And you say, well, why would you say that? 
because I believe completely, totally, and W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, Christmas is about gifts. And you say, okay, Jason, you're not preaching next week. You're done. Let's see what God says about it, okay? Because that's what matters, right? Let's see what God says about gifts and who gives them and who gets them on this Christmas Eve morning. We don't have one main text this morning, so we'll start with a quick survey of what the New Testament says about gifts and their recipients. If you have a Bible, you can turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18. It'll be up on the screen too, if you don't have a Bible. And we're not going to ask you to stand this morning because we're going to read a lot of scriptures, okay? You'd be up and down and you'd get exercises and do like 628 squats if we did them today like that. But we're going to read James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. The inspired apostle James writes this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Now, the first thing that I would want us to see as we look at these verses is that word, every, in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Now, every is a totality word. It leaves no room for exceptions. And I also want to see the words good and perfect which describe what kind of gifts are being considered. Anybody ever have a bad gift giver in their life? Now be honest. Come on, it's all right. You don't have to point them out. Quit nudging people, okay? But you know what I mean. You appreciate the thought and all, but what in the world made you think of me when you saw the Chia Pet? That's what I want to know. It's the thought that counts, right? No! It is the thought that counts. Some, some people just aren't very good gift givers. Now, let me ask you this, and this sets a precedent for what we're going to talk about today. Do you think God gives bad gifts? Mm-mm. From our passage that we just looked at, God gives good gifts. God gives perfect gifts. God gives us what we always wanted. That's what God gives us. These are good and perfect gifts. And where do they come from? They come from God who is called here the Father of lights. So if there is a good and perfect gift in your life, it came from God. And some of the things that we don't recognize as good and perfect gifts are good and perfect gifts. And they came from God as well. Some hardships, some suffering, some trials, those are good gifts too. James would later say, count it all joy my beloved brethren, when you encounter various trials. So that trial, that temptation, could be a gift. So I'm not just talking about happy, happy, joy, joy today, but I am calling us to look at the gifts that God gives us and know that God, the Father of lights, gives us good and perfect gifts, and every good and perfect gift comes down from Him. And then look at what James connects that gift thought to. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So what is that speaking of? It's talking about our salvation. Our salvation was God's act of bringing us forth by the word of truth. If you are born again here this morning, you are born again because God called you forth by the word of truth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everybody who believes. And who is the source of that gospel? God. So when he talks about a good and perfect gift here, he's referring specifically of the gift of salvation that God chose to give you if you are born again. And that's a good gift. That's a perfect gift. We hear the word, the gospel... And God birthed us, brought us forth in a good and a perfect gift-giving way. So listen, God gives gifts, and they're good gifts. 
They're perfect gifts, including our salvation. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as they say it. Gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Wow. Romans, right? <laughs> Can I get an amen at the brilliance of God seen in the book of Romans? Mm, we spent two years in Romans. And those two years changed my life. And all the Bible is good. But God used 25 months of Romans to reconstruct my thinking. So we saw in James that God gives every good and perfect gift. And the main gift is the gift of our salvation. Now here in Romans 3, we see that gift of salvation described with hows and whats and whys. The first thing that I want you to notice is here in verse 24 where it says that those who have been saved are justified by God's grace as a gift. So, justification, which means being made right with God. I'm right with God. I am just. As I stand in His presence, I have the right to be there. That's justification. Justification is a gift of God's grace. Now, I want you to get that. As we think about Christmas Eve and presents and giving, we see here that being made right with God is something that God gives us as a gift. And that word gift there, it means freely, without a cause, and undeservedly. So being made right with God is a free, without a cause, undeserved gift from God. If you are saved, you didn't deserve it. If you are saved, you didn't buy it. And if you're saved, there was no other cause than the grace of God. And then verse 25 says that that gift is received by faith, whom God put forward as a propitiation, speaking of Jesus, to be received by faith. Now what does that mean? It means that faith is how you open the present. God had wrapped up salvation, our justification, in a beautiful package named Jesus through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And our faith is how we tear off the paper and see what's inside. Our faith is our trusting that Jesus was a propitiation. Now what's that word mean? That word propitiation means He was the sacrifice that took God's wrath for our sin in Himself on the cross. And that the wrath of God was spent. We just sang it. They're on the cross. Jesus was a propitiation and Jesus took God's wrath for our sin in Himself. And the wrath of God was spent. And we sing it, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's what propitiation means. The wrath of God was spent, was satisfied in punishing my sins in Jesus. Jesus was our punishment absorber. And when we exhibit faith, we trust that God punished our sins and is thus now pleased with us. Did you hear what I just said? We trust that God punished our sins in Christ and is thus now pleased with us and sees us as justified. Only when it's now, though, if you're a believer. And it's always now. But the question is, if, if, if we unwrap the present with faith, where does the faith come from? Look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. This tells the story of your salvation. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, good news. <laughs> really good news. 
Today could be the day that God births faith in you. Listen to this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and you was all of us. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Let me read that again. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know if there is a more God-exalting, worshipful passage in the Bible than Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I mean, wow! We were dead. How dead were we, Jason? We were dead. We were so dead we weren't alive. That's how dead we were. And who were? Who were dead? (laughs) All of us were dead in our sins and trespasses, living for our bodies and desires of our minds. And as such, we were fully deserving and headed for the wrath of God. But we saw back in Romans 3 that Jesus absorbed God's wrath for our sins. And here in Ephesians, we see that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And how did He do that? Why did He do that? By grace you have been saved, is what verse 5 says. And then verses 8 and 9. You want to talk about good and perfect gifts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. By grace through faith you've been saved. And this is not your own doing. What is not your own doing? Is the grace or the faith or the saved part not your own doing? And the answer is yes! All of it is a gift of God's grace. None of it, the grace, the faith, nor the salvation, are a result of your works. They are gifts from God. Why? So that no one may boast. Nobody can open these gifts and say, well, you know what, I was a pretty good boy this year. I deserve this. Nor can anyone offer to pay a little on the gift so that the expense can be shared. Oh man, I know that cost a bunch. Here's 20. You know, let, me, let me just at least help out here. God does it all so that God gets all the glory. And here's a key thought for today. Listen, listen, listen. Whoever gives the gifts gets the glory for the joy that the gifts bring. Whoever gives the gifts gets the glory for the joy that the gifts bring. Nobody boasts in how awesome they are for receiving cool gifts. You don't open up a good gift and say, man, I am awesome! Look at me! And if you do, I want video of it because that's pretty awesome. Nobody does that. You rejoice in the giver. You look at the name on the from section of the tag and you say, wow, thank you. It's what I've always wanted. You got for me and gave me that which brings me joy. You see what's going on here? God gives good and perfect gifts. Every gift that is good and perfect comes from Him. He is the ultimate source of them. So who gets thanked? 
Who gets rejoiced over? Who gets celebrated? God does. I get perfect gifts, and God gets worship and glory, which is how He designed it. But what if I want to try to earn this gift? What if I feel real guilty because, God, you spent a lot of money on me. You sent your only son, and I feel real guilty, so I'm going to try real hard to earn your favor now. What, what if that's your thought? What if you want to do your part and show God that you wanted what He offers and that you want to earn it or pay for it? What then? Let me bring, take you to a little story in the book of Acts. Let me paint you some context here before we jump into the, the text. In this passage, the early apostles are in Samaria, which was back to them, but God sent them there. They're in Samaria preaching the gospel and strengthening those who had already believed and received the gift of salvation. So these are early apostles, okay? Peter, James, Peter, John, those fellows. And a magician in Samaria named Simon believes, and then he sees that the Holy Spirit is falling on these new believers after the apostles laid their hands on the new believers. He wants to be able to do what they're doing, and he wants to pay for it. Now watch this. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This guy wants to give good gifts, right? But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Dang. I mean, this guy just wanted to give some good gifts, y'all. I got money. I'll pay for it. I want want to be able to do this. (coughs) And Simon just lays the hammer down on him. Peter lays the hammer down on Simon. Simon, the magician, is saying, Hey, if I can pay, will you let me do what you're doing? I want to give God's gift, and I'll pay to be able to do it. And then Peter just lights into him. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought, listen, listen, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible... The intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, what's the core problem here? His heart's wrong. His mind's wrong. Why? Because he thought he could obtain the gift of God with money. He thought he could pay for it. He thought he could earn it. He thought he could use what was of him to purchase what God gives freely. And Peter says that Simon is in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And listen to me, people. When your heart is wrong, and when you want to try to earn or pay for what God gives freely, you can't receive gifts. You want to pay for them. You want to earn them. But listen to me. God is the consummate giver and is glorified in our rejoicing in Him giving us freely what could never be earned. So in God's economy, it's all about the presence. No posturing or political maneuvering here, just receiving and rejoicing what God gives freely. And again, in the words of John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And I would add, in His gift. So now Christmas. Here we are on this blessed Christmas Eve. And I want you to hear the old, old story again. Don said Wednesday that he wanted you to listen like a shepherd as he read it. Today, I want you to listen like a little kid on Christmas Eve. Excited for the gifts and the presents that you are about to receive. Are you ready? Here's the story, y'all. 
You might know it, but listen to it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now let me insert something there. Why did she obtain favor? It's a gift of God's grace. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's grace. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And later, Mary would sing this song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. He's given good gifts, and holy is is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Mary said, God's done some really great things. He's given us a lot of really good gifts. And just a little while later, God sends His greatest gift in the person of Jesus into the world. Again, little giddy children. Listen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's true. It's history. 
This isn't a clever concoction of somebody's imagination. This is the very plan of God. Now look back at verse 14. This is... This is what the heavenly hosts of angels sang. As the glory of God shone around them. So one angel saying this, and all of a sudden just heaven splits open, and all these angels spill out, and what are they doing? They're praising God. And this is what they're singing. Listen, listen to what they're singing. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who try really hard. And on earth peace among those who are really smart and privileged. And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Why is God pleased? One commentator put it this way, The meaning seems to be not that divine peace can be bestowed only where human goodwill is already present, but that at the birth of the Savior, God's peace rests on those whom He has chosen in accord with His good pleasure. God is pleased because He has chosen in accord with His good pleasure to give peace and joy and salvation, these good and perfect gifts, to those on earth who would receive this good and perfect gift of His newly born Son, Jesus. So, glory to God in the highest because He has given the greatest gift of all time. And as we receive, we rejoice and God is glorified. That's His design. It's all about the presence. It's all about God being the giver, us being the receivers, and all being right in God's plan. Now, I want to wrap up our time this morning. Let's see what I did there. Some of y'all get that in six more seconds or so. I want to wrap up our time this morning by looking at a couple more passages that will help us see how to apply these wonderful truths this Christmas season into our lives. What I want us to see as we close is that we are to be those who receive the gift of salvation from God and then those who live as gift receivers for the rest of our lives. God is the quintessential giver, so we should be the quintessential receivers. Now, what does that look like in our lives according to the Scriptures? Three things as we close. First, be adopted children, not paying customers. Don read part of this this morning. I thought he was going to step all over my message, but he did. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, oh, then an heir through God. I think we come to God sometimes in our Christian lives specifically as paying customers. I've been pretty good this year. So will you bless me? Because I'm trying real hard. Being born again, receiving eternal life, is a gift. It's adoption into the very family of God. And our adoption is God's doing. And God did it in the fullness of time when things were right according to His scriptures, according to the prophecies, just right, on that night that Jesus was born. He was born of a woman under the law so that he could redeem or buy back those who were under the law. That's us. We can't redeem ourselves. We're dead, remember? And when we were redeemed, listen, we received adoption as sons, and since we are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Now, do you get that? Did you hear that? You're not a slave anymore. You're a son, an adopted son of God. You are God's children, and you can call Him Abba, 
which is like us saying daddy. You can call God daddy, an intimate name reserved for beloved children of our benevolent father. Listen. One, two, three, four. Six words in this sentence. God loves to be our father. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and what did he say? Pray this way, our father. God loves to be our father. He's not a shop owner who is exacting payment for his wares from us. I'll go buy a little bit more grace from God today and hope he's not in a bad mood. He loves to give good and perfect gifts to his children. I was nervous this morning as my kids were opening their gifts. I'm like, what are they like? God don't do that. He loves to give good and perfect gifts to his children. Listen to me. Here's the application part of this. Christian, call out all the days of your life to your daddy, to your loving Abba, and receive from him what only he can give. Don't try to pay him back for the gifts he has freely given. It's upside down and backwards. Because if I'm giving him something, who am I asking to get the glory? God, give me glory because I gave you something. And he says, I adopted you. And I gave you the spirit of my son so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. So be adopted children, not paying customers. Second of the three points is be a gift receiver, not a slave to sin. Romans 6, 22 through 23. We're almost done. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you're like, uh-oh, what now? Stay with me. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this one here, this be a gift receiver, not a slave to sin, is directly from the text that we just looked at as far as contrasting the two sides of the equation. As we seek to live the Christian life, we are assailed by the temptation to sin all the time. Anybody? Okay, a couple of us are saved. The rest of you are liars is what you are. (laughs) Living the Christian life, you will face diverse temptations. It is inevitable that temptation come. But let me ask you a question. You figure that God has a gift for us that will aid us in the battle against sin? Well, sure He does. It's called eternal life. You're like, now what? How is eternal life a gift that helps us fight sin? Listen, while eternal life surely refers to the length of our lives in Christ, it also denotes the quality of that life. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Some translations say more abundantly. So what is the promise we have if we're slaves to sin? The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal, abundant life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, look back at where that came from. In verse 22. this life is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Now, there's that word, slaves. What now? Question mark. I thought we were children. That's what we just looked at, right? And we are. Just like Jesus was. We are slaves and children. We are slaves of owned by, redeemed by, adopted by our Father. And listen, these slaves get fruit that leads to sanctification and eternal life. So if that's what it means to be a slave of God, sign me up, is what I say. Purchase me, God, and teach me to receive the free gifts that you give your slave children sanctification and eternal life in Jesus our Lord. 
We have to see that the promise of life in Christ Jesus frees us from the power of sin. We don't have to serve the dreaded slave master called sin anymore. You can choose to serve sin as a believer in Christ. You can choose that. And you can look at the sin and say, I want that more than I want Jesus. You can do that. But you don't have to. Because we've been given the gift of eternal life. Life in Christ. Sanctification and eternal life in Jesus our Lord. We are slaves of God who receive the gifts given for our benefit and the glory of God. Jesus said this in Luke 12, 32. Listen to this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if I can choose between the kingdom of God and sin, if my eyes are right, if my heart is right, if my mind is right, the kingdom of God wins every time. It's when I get my eyes on the sin and when I start living according to those lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life that I choose sin over eternal life. The good news is I don't have to anymore. God has given me eternal life. He has given me the power of the Spirit to kill sin in my life. So I'm a gift receiver. I receive the gift of eternal life and I'm no longer a slave of sin. So be adopted children, not paying customers. Be a gift receiver, not a slave to sin. And this is my last one. Be a worshiper, not a worker. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And here's the core of what needs to be seen from all of this. We are called to worship God, not work for God. Oh, for so much of my Christian life, we were talking about it this morning, I've been told to work for God, serve God, sacrifice for God, and language of that same sort. And I do have to be a doer of the Word. That, that's true, that's biblical. We are servants, or like we saw in the last point, we're slaves of God. But does that mean that I have to be sour and dour and everything must be duty with no delight? I'll use the Apostle Paul's words here, by no means, which is translated, no, 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 no. And what was the question again? That I have to be sour and dour and everything must be duty with no delight. No. If my service to God is not founded on and fueled by worship, then it's not service at all. It's me trying to earn God's favor. It's me trying to win some glory for myself. The Scriptures use phrases like delight yourself in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, praise the Lord, exult in God, and on and on. Now, does that sound like drudgery to you? Does that sound like, oh, I've got to go punch in again today, serve God. Woe is me. I can't wait to get to heaven so I can just strum my harp and not have to serve God anymore. This is not drudgery. This is delight, and dare I say it, this is pleasure. And when our service becomes our pleasure, we are no longer working for God. We are instead worshiping Him, which is what He is looking for. Jesus said, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. These are the types of worshipers that the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking worshipers, not workers. And the shift in our mindset from working for God to worshiping God is at the very heart of Christmas, the very heart of the gospel. God, the giver, gave his very best so we can delight in the joy that His gift brings us. Our joy is His glory. And if we are stuck in a mindset of, I have to be working for God and doing what He tells me to do, and I can't do what I really want to do, then we miss not just the joy of Christmas, but we miss the gospel itself off the map. John Piper speaks of this in his manifesto of joy called Desiring God. And he puts it this way. This is not from Desiring God. 
desiring God, you should read. It's not from that. He says it this way, Christianity is fundamentally convalescence. Patients do not serve their physicians. They trust them for good prescriptions and therapy. The Sermon on the Mount is our doctor's therapeutic regimen, not our employer's job description. He goes on to say, our very lives hang on not working for God. And then he uses this passage, Romans 4, 4 through 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And he goes on to say, quote, continuing, workmen get no gifts, they get their due, their wage. If we would have the gift of justification, we dare not work for it. God is the workman in this affair, and what he gets is the glory of being the benefactor of grace, not the beneficiary of service. End of quote. To which I say, yes. Yes! When we have developed a mindset of receiving from God, we function in our everyday lives as those who have been given every good and perfect gift from the hand of our all-benevolent Father. I don't cower in fear or bite my lip in order to get through the day hoping the master's whip doesn't cross my back. I'm rejoicing in the gifts, the trials, the successes, and the failures, knowing that it has all come to me through the hands of the one who loved me and loves me so much that he can only give me good and perfect gifts. And delighting in the gifts glorifies the giver. Piper again says this, and we're almost done. And we know. And this gets right to the heart of the matter, Piper says, that if you love a person, for example, your wife, and she puts some thought into buying you a gift and puts it under the tree, and you open it on Christmas morning, you know that she will feel loved if you go bananas over this gift. If you lay the gift aside and say, I really don't care about this, just you, sweetie. Well, that's going to get old quickly, Piper says. However, if a man breaks into your house with a gun, puts the gun to her head and says, I want your gifts or I'll kill her. Piper says, really? Are you kidding me? Take the gift, knucklehead. And the wife would know, of course, that her husband loves her 10,000 times more than he loves the gift. And yet, if he belittles the gift, if he turns away from the gift, he's not loving her well. And so that is the way it is almost all the time with God in this world. Quote. So I spend my life looking for and enjoying the gifts of God in my life. And that leads me to worship in response to the goodness, to the gifts that He's given me. I'm not working for God. I'm worshiping God because He is giving me good and perfect gifts at every turn. I'm not working for Him to earn my keep or earn His pleasure. I understand that everything that I have is a gift. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? <laughs> All we have, everything we have, has come from His hand as a gift. So don't boast in your work, but rejoice in what you have received. Worship. Don't work. And enjoy God and His gifts. And the greatest gift that I could give to you this morning is the gospel. And the best news in the world starts with the worst news in the world. You are a sinner. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins. And you need a Savior. Lucky for us, there's this thing called Christmas, right? Because God sent a Savior into the world named Jesus Christ. And we saw that He was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law perfectly. And then He went to the cross and God punished your sins in His body. And He died... He was buried, and then He came back to life. God raised Him back to life to show Him that He approved of the offering. 
Then he showed himself alive to over 500 people over the course of 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God, having completed the work that he was sent to do. And now he ever lives to make intercession for you. So sinner, if you are here this morning and have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, come and say, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. God, I trust that the gift you gave me in him is sufficient to save me from my sins. And if you've received that gift... Remind yourself again of the old, old story. God did this because He is a fantastic giver. You don't have to work to maintain His favor. Your favor is found in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, rejoice in that work. Rejoice in the person of Christ and worship God in response to the gift that He has given you freely. And tonight, I don't know what your customs are, but we're going to open some gifts, y'all. A lot of them. And then we're going to go to those folks' house tomorrow, and we're going to open a lot more gifts. And you know what? I'm going to see it a little different this year. And I'm going to rejoice in free gifts that I get to give glory to the giver. And I'm not going to work for favor. I'm just going to say thanks. This is really good. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let me pray. God, I praise you that you are a kind, benevolent, loving, giving Father. And God... One of the greatest gifts you give us is the gift of conviction of sin. I pray for conviction for all of us now, God. Whatever the sin may be in our lives, whatever the sins may be in our lives, convict us and draw us close to you, God. Some of us, maybe for the first time, what a gift to receive this Christmas Eve. The gift of eternal life. God, you're not up there shaking your head, disappointed in us. For those of us who have trusted Jesus, you rejoice over us with loud shouts of singing. And you say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's a really good gift. And I praise you, Father, as the giver of that gift. And I rejoice like Mary did in God and His salvation. You have done great things, God. Chief among them is you have saved me from my sins. And I praise you. Now may I live as a worshiper, not a worker, so that you get glory in my life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? A simple one to which I just want you to proclaim amen after I finish reading it. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a Merry Christmas, y'all.